Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey everybody, welcome to this week's podcast. No special announcements this week, but I do want to say I'm getting super thrilled and excited to go to Brazil in two and a half weeks. So I can't wait to see as many of you as possible in Sao Paulo. I do not speak Portuguese. I'm not smart enough to speak more than one language, but I'm going to try my best to hang out and party with everybody. I'm really fired up for it. But anyway, that's two and a half weeks away. So today, let's jump into the news. First up, Donald just posted a video that's aimed at people who want to play the original Resident Evil game for the first time, but don't know where to start. Do you play one of the many remakes? Which version of the remakes? Which version of the original? Basically, there's a ton of different ways to approach this, and Donald wanted to lay it out in a spoiler-free video that allows you to decide for yourself which one you would like to start with. So I always think things like this are pretty helpful. I think over the years, there's always been need for stuff like this, like, you know, which version of Zelda do you play? The, uh, you know, Link to the Past or Link to the Past on Game Boy Advance, or there's always discussions like this. And I think gamers of all eras will probably have to run into this at some point. So it's very cool that we're getting guides for each game. And now you got one to point you in the right direction for the original Resident Evil. The product in this next post is already sold out, but I want to talk about it anyway because as soon as it comes back in stock, hopefully you'll have all the information that you'll need in case this is something that you do or don't want to purchase. But anyway, Dopefish, the creator of the MT32 Pie, has just launched a shop and is selling both pre-made and kits for the MT32 Pie Zero, which is the smaller version based on the Pie Zero. And this is for things like taking MIDI audio, having that emulated on the Pi, and piping that in through your Mr. Setup, which is essentially the same as having a retro PC with a MIDI add-on, like the Roland MT32, in order to have your full Mr. Setup be as accurate to the original as possible and be able to have the full MIDI sound. So the Zero is just a smaller version of that. There's a 3D printed case available as well if you would like, but as I opened with, there are all out of stock at the moment. But if this is something that's been interesting you for a while and you just wanted to pick one up that was pre-built, the smaller one, the zero version, then you should definitely bookmark the page and check back. And we'll try to retweet or repost or whatever it is that we could do to let everybody know when they come back on sale. But I know this is a product that a lot of people have been wanting. And if you're a fan of MIDI on the old PCs and stuff like that, I think this is a very cool way to experience it. So thanks to Reese for writing it up and thanks to Dale Dopefish for doing this, and I, I realize it's going to be very hard to keep this stuff in stock, but hopefully they can try their best and figure it out as we go forward. So it's the 30th anniversary of the first-person shooter game Wolfenstein 3D that anybody over a certain age pretty much had to have played at some point when they were a kid. And Reese decided to celebrate this anniversary by building a period-accurate 286 PC to try and play it. And while I think I had a 386 PC around the time that I discovered Wolfenstein, 
it performed just about as badly as it did on Reese's PC. So if you would like a very fun look into the times, how people were able to get this stuff working, and what they looked like back then, definitely check out Reese's video. That was a fun one. And if not, hey, at least you just heard a cool story and you were reminded that it was the Wolfenstein 30th anniversary. This week's podcast is once again brought to you by JLCPCB, and this week I'll be answering a question that one of you awesome members of the retro gaming community asked. How can you order a cartridge PCB that's made with chamfered and beveled edges and hard gold fingers? And I thought that was an excellent question because that's something that's lacking on so many cartridges that are repros because it's cheaper and easier to make them without it. So a lot of these companies like to save a few bucks while giving you cartridges that are dangerous to use in your consoles. So how do you make sure that you're getting the right ones? Well, I reached out to my rep at JLCPCB, shout out to Daisy, and she confirmed that all you need to do is just make sure a few things are selected at checkout. Let's take a look. The board I'll be using to make this PCB comes from HD Retrovision's Free Stuff, where they have listed a Sega Genesis PCB that's meant for a basic ROM chip that has chamfered edges, beveled edges, and recommended for hard gold pads. So all you need to do is download that, then extract just the Gerber files from them, and upload those to JLC PCB the same way you would any other Gerber files. Now, there are a few changes you'll need to make, although it is very easy. There's basically just two things that are different. First, after the file uploads, just double check that you do see the chamfered edge to make sure that you got the right file. Then scroll down and select the surface finish that's labeled Enig Rojas. And after you do that, select Gold Fingers. You need to select Enig first in order for gold to be available, but that's basically it. I just placed the order, which is the exact same as every other PCB order. Just select which shipping you'd like. I chose the fastest one, so hopefully it'll get here pretty quickly. And I will be following up in a few weeks when it arrives. We'll take a look with a macro lens and a normal lens, and I'll be able to show you if the PCB showed up beveled with the proper gold fingers on the edge. Ian, aka the Historical Nerd, just posted a very cool video about how the military approached Atari to make a video game that was also a tank simulator. And I don't want to spoil too much because there were some very neat facts dropped in there that I never heard before that I thought were pretty interesting tidbits of video game history. But the two things that I did want to point out was that First of all, if you um, then definitely do that while watching, because Ian's visuals in this were pretty spectacular. It really very impressive and fun to watch. The story itself was great, but one of the other parts that really stood out to me, that's sort of a spoiler. I hate spoiling anybody's video, but it's worth discussing, is that a person who was interviewed back when this happened, Colonel Robert Harrington, was one of the people that approached Atari with a very forward-thinking approach of hey, why don't we make these video games incredibly similar to the tanks? Because getting hands-on time with the control stick on these tanks is very hard to do and very limited in time. So if we just put fun video games and break rooms and mess halls and just tell the soldiers, have at it if you want to have some fun, they could get some training in without even realizing they're training. They're just having fun blasting away at a video game, trying to beat each other's scores. And while today something like that is commonplace and everybody would kind of agree on something like that. 
in this era, that was not common at all. I'm pretty sure we've all seen movies of that time where they have the the over-the-top fictional general, like, get out of here, you dweebs, we need military people in here. And of course, it wasn't like that. There were obviously a lot of people like Colonel Harrington that, that really stepped forward to do this. But I, that just really, for whatever reason, really hit me a lot out of this video about, you know, how people really approached this back at a time where people didn't even know that you could do stuff like that. So excellent video from Ian. Uh, definitely watch it. I only spoiled a little bit of it. There's one other tidbit in there that you kind of have to watch to see. Sorry to, to do that, but I, I want to make sure that everybody's channel grows. So I don't want to give away their, their big points, but it was pretty interesting and something that I certainly didn't know. So definitely give it a watch. And uh, thanks to Ian for doing these. Terra Onion has just released a new firmware for the Mega SD ROM cart slash Sega CD optical drive emulator, and it has a bunch of different bug fixes in it, as well as the ability to add CD audio to 32X games. And I want to be clear that this is not some kind of way to get a 32X CD ROM working without any other hardware. You would still need the MSD EXP in the side if you want to play those games. This is just simply to be able to play 32X games through the actual 32X and Genesis, but have a CD audio soundtrack, just like their MD+. And that allowed for what's coming next. The team behind Doom 32X Resurrection, which is a complete remake of the 32X version of Doom, have just released version 2.0 with a whole bunch of very cool updates to it. Mateus Baez just did a video kind of showing everything that's there, so I highly recommend watching it. It's short too, so it gets right to the point, and uh, I'm going to just skim through it real quick, hopefully to pique your interest. The one thing that I just talked about is that it allows for a CD audio soundtrack if you're using the Mega SD through the brand new firmware that was just released from Terra Onion. But also, they added support for the Zero Tolerance link cable. And if anybody's unaware of what that is, the game Zero Tolerance, which was kind of like a Doom ripoff for the Sega Genesis, allowed for... When you purchased it, you were able to go in and send $5 in a mail-in card to get a cable that allowed you to link two Genesis consoles together via the controller 2 port. I owned that game when I was a kid, and believe it or not, the first time I ever tried that was in 2017, according to my Twitter timeline, timeline July 18th, 2017, when Ben from iFix Retro made a custom cable for me that allowed me to connect my Nomad to my Tower of Power setup and be able to battle against myself uh, in this in order to show it actually working. So that was really cool. I, I never thought that uh, I'd get a chance to do that. I do remember sending the five bucks in, but it took like eight months for the link cable to arrive. I was a kid, so you know there was no like check your status on the internet back then. And I remember when it showed up, I was like, what is this? Oh, that's right. I haven't played this game in months. So I never tried it as a kid. Um, and But I, I still have the one Ben made me. I think a lot of people still have it lying around. And it was kind of sad that you were only able to use it for that one game, which is why I think it's really awesome that you could link two setups. So that's two 32X and Sega Genesis with some sort of ROM cart together in order to battle against each other. I'm not sure if that's something that could be done via Snack in the Mister, but I can't imagine why it wouldn't, because Snack usually works exactly like direct controller inputs. But it's a very interesting thing to mess with. 
Now, Zero Tolerance wasn't the greatest game, but Doom was <laughs> a very good game, and this version of it is excellent. So there is an entire list of changes that were added. Uh, I definitely would like to just point everybody to Mateus's video on it because he does a much better job going through and demoing all this stuff than I could describe. But I really wanted to talk about those two features, especially that link cable thing, because that was just a very neat surprise and something that I did not expect at all. Uh, so hopefully we could get some solid schematics up for people to make their own. I think you could just use two cheap bottom of the barrel extension cables. You know, they don't even need to, to be highest quality. You, you basically just need that same type of connector. And also, if anybody knows the Sega Retro website, uh, people who run that, their wiki says that the link cable doesn't work with a Nomad. But as you just saw, I demoed that it does. So I would love to find out some more info on that. Was there something different about making your own cable versus the one sent? Uh, was there something different about my Nomad? I doubt it. Uh, or was it just something that was overlooked? But I'd love to know the answer to that just because I'm a nerd. So uh, if you know anything about that, please let me know. Or if you want to put me in touch with the, that crew, please let, uh, do so as well. But either way, just, you know, Big, big thumbs up to the team working on this port of Doom. And hopefully, if they want to, we could, now that we have 32X support on the Mister, maybe we could see some other cool stuff for the 32X coming forward. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Tito from Macho Nacho Productions just posted a video demoing Mako's new Metal Game Boy Advance SP replacement front shell, which is an excellent crossover from two awesome people in the scene who are experts in handhelds. It was a great video, and it seems like a very, very cool way to mod your Game Boy Advance SP. Um, I'm always a fan of mods that make Game Boy Advances kind of similar to the original Game Boy designs, because depending on your preference, there's no right or wrong here, but you might prefer to hold it vertically versus horizontally. And some people find that the SP is kind of a little cramped in some ways, uh, and having just a straight vertical design might be better. But it's all preference. But if you do prefer that, definitely check out Tito's video because Mako's design implemented a metal front that allows you to keep the original plastic rear cover, which saves cost and has a slightly different feel and less weight to it, which is kind of cool. And of course, they also included one of the new backlit screens and all of that stuff. So this was a, a very great video that kind of combined a whole bunch of topics that we often talk about here. And I believe that Retro Game Repair Shop will be selling these soon if you'd like your own. So check out uh, Tito's video, check out Mako, and check out the links to everything. And if you want to hear more from Mako, I did do an interview a while back that uh, I had a really great time talking with him. So any info you need is right here in Tito's post, and links to everything are right there. I just posted an interview with Sam Miller, who's the person that's been doing the restorations of Super Nintendo soundtracks using the original samples. The short version is that all sounds on the Super Nintendo 
all music at least, was created with samples. So developers and composers had sample discs or sometimes created their own samples, then compressed them all the way down to be able to fit on the Super Nintendo, and that's what you heard. So you heard low-quality versions of what the original composer's idea was for the music. And more on this if you want to go check out the Remute interview I did. He talks about this, about how he made his Super Nintendo and N64 album as well the same way. And what Sam's been doing is the painstaking work of hunting down the original samples or figuring out the original equipment that were used to create these samples and painstakingly recreating these soundtracks using those original sounds. I played through Super Metroid that way and it blew me away. It's my favorite way to experience the game now, probably will be forever, and one of the many reasons why I truly think we need MSU1 support on the Mister, because while I obviously love original hardware, I would love anybody with a Mister to be able to sit down and play this and experience it the same way I did with my FX Pack Pro. So. Uh, if you're interested at all in this, it's not a very long interview, and Sam was great to talk to, so please give it a listen. As always, it's available everywhere, so if you prefer audio only, just search for RetroRGB Sam, and that's you know, whatever pops up should be us. So definitely check it out, and thanks again to Sam for all of his work, because a lot of people have been appreciating Donkey Kong Country, and of course, one of my favorite games of all time, Super Metroid, with their original samples. Now it's time for this week's Mr. Updates, Care of Lou from Lou's Retro Source. As usual, I'm going to skim through these, and if anything piques your interest, definitely check out Lou's video, Lou's post, and consider subscribing to his channel. First up, the Alpha Mission Beta Core is now available. I haven't tried it yet, but I really like that game. I'm really looking forward to giving it a shot, and hopefully right after this, I can give it a try. So thank you very much to uh, Randmark3, who's been releasing this and working on it. I'm not sure if that's how you pronounce the screen name, but hopefully it came out with love and no disrespect if I got it wrong. Um, there's some more updates to the PlayStation Core. A Konami Justifier support was added by Nolan Nicholson, which is cool because I really like Lethal Enforcers. Um, not my favorite game, but it's a fun light gun game, so it's great to know that the Justifier will work. There's also snack support, which I think that could probably be added or be used in conjunction with the Justifier. Um, I haven't seen snack boards available yet, but I saw some prototypes that looked very cool. And also, there's now a 180-degree rotation option in case you have your display rotated in the wrong direction for a shooter, which is pretty cool. Um, there's also been a bunch of bug fixes and updates, so it's really looking like it's coming closer to a public release. There's also the official MT32 Pi kit for the Raspberry Pi Zero, but I talked about that earlier. Uh, I think Lou showed that off a little bit in the video as well. There's now... Attract mode and vertical-only scripts, and this is worth taking a moment to talk about. I know Lou already showed it, but I gotta just reiterate how cool this is. So first, uh, Alex Upton on GitHub created two scripts that could be useful. The first is the attract mode that will cycle through random arcade games in your library, which is neat, because that way if you have it in an arcade machine, you could just let it cycle through and not worry about burn-in. But what I'm personally super excited about is a script called Vertical Arcade Only. And that's for people who want to have a dedicated 
vertically oriented Tate mode, call it whatever the heck you want, tape mode. Uh, but somebody has one of those cabs, which I'm still working on turning Beast's old Sammy cab into exactly this. You should be able to just sort it out to only have vertically oriented games show up in the list, which is awesome because now I could take that mister, point it to my retro NAS, and then run this script so that it just shows me the vertically oriented games so I don't have to worry about fumbling through. Super helpful for arcade users. I guess kind of useless for people who are just using it on a flat panel. But thank you, Alex, for doing that for us people who have vertical cabs. There's also support for a new core for Soldier Soldier Girl Amazon, which is a shooter game from 1986 with gameplay similar to Commando. I hadn't seen it at all until I saw Lou's video, so we're not familiar with that one. But as always, I'm interested in trying them out. There is also work continuing on TerraForce in Akari 3, which is always great to get more arcade cores in. Hotego had released a new core to Patreon subscribers, and this one is for the beat-em-up Vigilante. Now, all of his cores go, while they're still in beta, to Patreon subscribers, and then once they're finished, or at least worked out enough so there's not too many bugs, he makes them public. I think that's perfectly fair, but it's up to you to have your own opinion on that. Also, Furtech showed some progress on the core for Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. For those unfamiliar, Furtech goes into a very deep dive to all of these chips before really digging into the core in order to recreate the chips as best as possible. They've shown on their Twitter a lot of the decapping process and how they go through all that, and it's really fascinating. So definitely worth uh, giving Furtech a follow if you're a super nerd that's into all of that stuff. Uh, also, I did an interview with the creators of the Mr. Multisystem, but you already knew that because I already told you about it before. <laughs> uh, and also, there is the Mr. Portable, which I talked about as well, and I'm really looking forward to seeing more progress on that because I think, while I personally am not a, a, a predominant handheld user, I like displays, CRTs, and stuff like that, I know I'm in the minority. I know most people would have loved a way to just bring their Mr. with them everywhere, so that's pretty exciting. Also, Lou just released a video on Mike Simone's native S-Video cores for Mr. I highly recommend watching Lou's video on this. I also just heard um, Lewis and Steve do a podcast about this, and it's complicated as to why things are the way they are in that S-Video and composite output. I think we're going to have to do some kind of slightly deeper dive video kind of explaining why this stuff is so complicated and how it's not as easy as just throwing a chip into something and, and mixing signals together or why it's not easy to just add support to a core because it's not one of these things where if you add composite video support to Genesis, you could just copy and paste that to all the other cores. They're very intricate and it's really complicated. And while I could definitely understand what's going on, I think I have to get a little bit more knowledge to be able to explain it right. Um, because it's just, it's, it's pretty rough. And it's one of those things where all of the workarounds now are workarounds. They're not solid solutions. A lot of them are very good, especially for S-Video, but the composite ones are still kind of up in the air. So I'll keep everybody posted on that. I've been talking to Mike Simone. I've been talking to Pork. I've been talking to Ivory um, and a, a couple of members of the Mr. Crew who are all very patient with me. So thank you, by the way. But just I think the best thing to know is that there's no perfect solution yet for S-Video and composite. There's a bunch of okay solutions for composite and a couple of very good for S-Video, but I'll jump into that in a separate video at some point. 
Also, continuing on, Pirko on Twitter has been posting progress on a Game & Watch FPGA core, and it looks very, very cool. I definitely recommend at least checking out the Twitter pictures and stuff, and I think it's going to be a pretty neat addition. Uh, and last, the downloader script that gets all of the files that you need to update everything has been updated to version 1.5. So... Um, this is one of those things that I've been following the Ypsilon. I subscribe on Patreon, and I think they've been trying to really nail down how to get these scripts right for people who want to do remote, like with retro NAS ROM support, as well as local and with USB drives. Uh, and just, you know, big props to them for trying so hard to get this to work for everybody. It's not easy covering such a wide user base with such a, a crazy combination of things that you could be using for storage. So thanks very much to absolutely everybody, including you, who listens to this stuff, because I love the Mr. Project. Most of us do. And uh, it's just very cool that this stuff is still growing the way it is. So thanks, all of you. And uh, thanks to Lou for continuing to do this for us. An awesome new product was just announced. I want to always make sure to set expectations straight. There is not a pre-order yet. There's not too much info on when you could get it, but I think it's pretty exciting. So I'm very glad that Pat was able to write this up anyway. But a new SD card based Dreamcast VMU was just announced with a higher resolution LCD screen, a 128 by 64 resolution that's backlit with four times the VMU memory space. 50 uh, internal mini game storage slots, high capacity internal battery, which means that it's not going to die every four days, <laughs> uh, USB charging, USB PC connectivity, and PC memory management. So this is very exciting for fans of the Dreamcast that are just tired of old VMUs that you got to change the battery every six hours and, you know, they're, they're not backlit, they're hard to see. And I always thought these VMUs were ahead of their time and awesome and they never really, a lot of the features that Sega had talked about weren't really capitalized on. Um, so hopefully with the addition of this, we could have some fun homebrew. We could have a different way to experience that stuff. And at the very least, a way to see it and use it for more than hours at a time without worrying about the battery. So um, once again, I don't want to put any pressure on the developer. There's no release date. There's no pre-order. There's no price guess yet. But it is something that I'm really glad is out there. And I hope, you know, I wish them the best. And I hope that they're able to get this out in a reasonable time period. They're looking at about a $100 price tag, but we're in the middle of a global part shortage. So by the time this comes out, it could be 75 or it could be 175 It's not the creator's fault. So check out the post if you want more info. There's a lot of cool tidbits on it. I just am really excited to see it. And uh, I just think a lot of Dreamcast fans are going to absolutely love it. The same way PlayStation fans love the Memcard Pro. And uh, we'll see what other cool stuff is out there for these older platforms. Robert Dale Smith, the developer who's been working on those controller adapters, have just released design files for a 3DO optical drive emulator mount. This mount was originally meant to fit the Mnemo Nemo's ODE, but it will also work with Fixel's upcoming internal ODE, which is something I talked about a while back that is super exciting. They have the internal and external versions. So basically, if your CD-ROM drive's dead, you could have a nice, tidy internal installation. If your CD-ROM drive's still working, you could just plug it right in the back. But now if you want to mount it on the inside, you have a very cool 3D printed mount that's available for it. Um, I don't know if Robert's going to be selling any of these, 
but there's definitely the files out there to print them yourself. So uh, thanks very much for Robert do or, or to Robert for doing this because it's it's always good to have a solid mount for a lot of these mods that we do. And it was really, you know, there was a lot of stuff that was held together with tape and glue for a while until Greg came around. Um, and and since then, I think Greg's inspired a lot of really cool people to come out with some unique designs. Uh, and it just makes me happy to see it. So keep up the good work, you awesome retro gaming 3D printers. And uh, and thanks again to Robert for releasing the files for this. Hopefully they'd consider making some just to get some cash back for their effort. But if not, still an awesome gesture to put that out there. Before I go real quick, I just wanted to do an interest check about whatnot. What do you all think about it? Uh, the last time I asked, I didn't really get too much of a response, which I think is a polite way of saying, do whatever the heck you want. I'll show up if it's interesting, which is totally fine, by the way. Uh, but I just, I like the platform. I like the people that I met on it. And I just was trying to see if there was any other ways I could jump on there because I'm not a seller. I don't have, you know, boxes upon boxes of video games to sell. I don't go to Goodwills and hunt down this stuff. But I do have a bunch of crazy stuff that I want to give away. I want to auction off. So how would you all feel about just weirder other streams? One of the things I found the other day was a whole bunch of vintage t-shirts that were video game and heavy metal related, many of which have never been worn because in case you haven't noticed, I'm a little bit fluffy and those metal t-shirts tend to run a little bit small. So would that be a fun stream or would that be stupid? I don't know. I think it would be fun, but I'm a dork. So <laughs> who knows? Maybe everybody else would be like, nobody wants your t-shirts, you idiot. But I don't know. I was thinking about doing that one for fun. It's also a lot a lot less work because they're just a pile of t-shirts and I could just stick them in nice bubble mailers and not have to worry about crazy packing like I did for some of the other stuff because I get obsessive with some of those. Some of the really fragile stuff, it was like a box in a box with foam and tape and I would have levitated it over to somebody on a drone if I had the ability to do so. <laughs> t-shirts, it's way easier. Just make sure they don't get ripped and you're good to go. But what do you all think? I just, uh, you know, these things are not fun without you to hang out with. So that's why I want to know what you all would want. But anyway, enough of the rambling. Uh, as always, thanks so much to everybody who watches, listens, plays nicely in the comments, and especially thank you to anybody who supports in any way. The monthly support services are what keep this going, but spreading the word, clicking on those Amazon links where you get to buy the same stuff for the same price, but I get a couple pennies off of it. All of that stuff is a tremendous help. And even jumping on these whatnot streams and sharing those with friends too. So thank you all for keeping this going. I want to keep going as long as I can. And without you, I can't do it. So you're all the best. Thank you very much. And I'll see you next week.